Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning. Here we are again. <laughs> yeah. What I mean by that is not just another Sunday, but another year. Another year. Gone. Okay, so uh, how many of you thought this year went by quickly? Okay, now notice carefully. It's all the older people who think the year went by quickly. The, the less young. I don't think I saw any of you young people lift your hand and say this year went by quickly. And that's how it is. And the older you get, the faster it goes. This has been a, this has been a weird year. It's been a hard year for many of us. Really has. But here we are again. Are we supposed to notice that? That here we are again? Is that a worldly, you know, non-spiritual thing to do to notice that another year has gone by? No. So, God is very interested in time. And he's interested in us marking time. Because as I've kind of grown fond of saying, God has, has placed us inside a clock. Yes, he's pla- when he made the world, he built it in such a way, and I don't mean that he, that stupid idea that he, you know, the world is like a clock that he wound up and threw out there and walked away from it and let it run. That's not what I mean. What I mean is he built the world as a clock for us to note Signs and seasons and days and years. That's what the sun and the moon and the stars are for. That's what he said. We're supposed to notice. So here we are. We notice that the earth has gone around our star once more. And we're supposed to take note. We're supposed to look backwards. Think about the year. We're supposed to Consider ourselves. We're supposed to consider our ways. Look forward. We need to think about it. Our lives. Our lives are a vapor. A mist. A cloud. And you younger people don't understand that yet. So you know how we've been talking to, in our sermons over Advent, we've been talking to the children, right? Well, I'm going to raise my aim just a bit today. And I'm really going to talk to you teenagers and you 20-somethings, you young adults, the, uh, the back row boys. <laughs> I mean young adults, young men, sorry. All right? I want to talk to you. And I want to talk to you about what it means to be a Christian. I want you to consider your ways. What does it mean to be a Christian? 
A Christian is a follower of Jesus, right? A Christian is a follower of Jesus. What kind of path did Jesus walk? Everywhere in Scripture, we read that Jesus, to follow Jesus, is a path of suffering. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. That's what you've been called for. That's what, you've, that's what it means to be a Christian. To follow in Jesus' steps. And his footsteps have blood in them. Not gold dust. Not pixie dust. But blood. Suffering. So open up and look with me. We're going to read Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. And what we have here, these are the words of Jesus, and what we have is one statement of desire and necessity. You'll see what I mean when we read it. One statement of desire and necessity followed by four reasons for why that statement is true. So one statement, four reasons, all right? So open up and read, or look up on the screen. Mark 8, 34. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. So one statement, it's an if-then statement. If you want to do this, then this is what that's going to mean. And the if you want to do this is what? If you want to come after me, Jesus says. Really, that's just the same word, follow me. If you want to follow after me. In other words, what? If you want to what? If you want to be a Christian. That's right. Do you want to be a Christian? Here's what it means. If anyone wishes to come after me, he, he what? What's the next word? Must. So this is the, the bare minimum. This is what must be the case. If anyone wants to be a Christian, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must, what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone's going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Follow me. 
Now, the heart of that is take up your cross. What does that mean, to take up your cross? Um, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean deal with your roommate, you know? You know how we talk about our cross? Oh, my cross, you know, is my mother-in-law. Just kidding. I don't even see her. There she is. <laughs> Not you. You know, my cross is my, my boss. My cross is my, my the, the physical condition that I was born with. That's how we think about this. It's like this almost random suffering. Oh, that's my cross. No, it's not. It's not. Because look at what Jesus says. If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and what? Take up his cross. It's an act, it's an intentional act of your will. It's something that you do. That you take on yourself. Now think about the cross. Um, You all know what the cross was, right? You know what that, what that represents. Let's talk about it. What does the cross represent? What does it mean? If you're living back in Jesus' day, back in the Roman world, and you see a cross, all kinds of things are going to come to mind. What are the things that come to mind? I want you to tell me. Young people. Young adults. 20-somethings, not teenagers. Okay, ultimately death. What else? Because it's not a quick death. So what else? Come on. Pain and suffering. What else? What? Shame. Incredible shame. Because you're up there for everybody to see, right? Stripped bare. What else? Atonement? No one thought that when they saw a cross. Okay? I know that's what we think. There's one more. It's really... Yes, rejection... By and guilt, rejection by whom? Not on the cross. When the Romans nailed you to the cross, you were undergoing extreme opposition. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right? This is not something you just stumble into. This is something that the government did to you. Okay? So public extreme opposition that led to everything you said. Shame, pain, suffering, and what? Death. All right? So when, when the crowd, Jesus said this to the crowd, not just as his disciples, right? He gathered a crowd, crowd around him so that everyone would hear his 
the crowd and the disciples, and he said, if anyone comes after me, wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross. And their ears are like, he hadn't died on the cross yet, but they knew what the cross stood for, right? Opposition, shame, pain, and death. No romance. Nothing good. So what it means to take up your cross is to embrace, to to consciously decide to live in such a way that you will receive opposition, shame, suffering, and death. Right? That's what it means. Now, what do you have to do if you're going to do that? Does, does anyone here want opposition, shame, suffering, and death? Anybody? So what do you have to do? Jesus says what you have to do. You have to deny yourself. Because what do we want? What do you want? Do you want opposition? No, what do you want? Acceptance and praise and, you know. So we don't want opposition, we want acceptance. Do you want shame? No, what do you want? What's the opposite opposite of shame? Praise, honor, glory. What's the opposite of suffering? Peace, comfort. The opposite of death is life, right? So none of us want the things that Jesus says we have to take on, which means we have to deny ourselves. How does that work? How, it, how do you become someone who is able to turn against yourself? To say no to yourself? Because that's what he's saying. You have to stand up and say no to you. How does that work? Why would anyone want to do that? Why would you want to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus? Well, that's what the rest of the passage is about. (laughs) Because Jesus, you know, he's used to talking to children, you know, which means he's used to talking to us. He comes and and talks to us, and he gives us reasons, and he, he explains, and he makes it very clear By the time he's done, oh, that makes sense. That's the only reasonable thing to do. And here are his reasons. Remember how I said there are four reasons? There are actually four fours. If you notice in the passage, right? Look at verse, I'm going to read it. Verse 35. For 
Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Four fours, four reasons. Let's look at those. Verse 35, reason number one. Why must you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus? In order to follow Jesus. Reason number one. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. Now think about that. That's what you call a paradox, right? Because it's the opposite of what you would think. You want to save your life. Is that wrong? No. The whole point is, you want to save your life, don't you? Your soul, that's the word. You want to save your soul, don't you? Yes. But you're going about it all wrong. You're going about it all wrong. You think, this is what's natural to think, we, we think that in order to save our life, why we've got to, you know, save our life. What does it mean in this context? Well, avoid what? Opposition, shame, suffering, and death. Yeah, at all costs, avoid that, and you'll be saved. And what does Jesus say? No, you won't. Actually, you'll be lost. Saving your life by avoiding the cross of Jesus means losing your life. The only way to save your life is to lose it. So Augustine, all right, remember Augustine uh, from the early, early church? Here's what he says. It's a kind of a complicated couple of sentences, but listen, here's what he says. He says, if you love your soul, there is danger of its being destroyed. right? If you love your soul, there's danger of it being destroyed. Therefore, you may not love it since you do not want it to be destroyed. But if not wanting it, but in not wanting it to be destroyed, you love it. This is, this is what Jesus is saying. Nobody wants to lose their soul. But you're going about it all wrong. You think that saving your soul, yourself, will result in your soul being saved, but that's wrong. The only way to save, have your soul saved is to lose it, your life, to lose your life. Jesus says in John 12, he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. 
This is how it worked for Jesus himself. Do you remember Philippians? Do you remember Philippians 2? You guys remember Philippians 2? Jesus took on himself the form of a, of a servant, the form of a man, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, and what comes after that? Therefore God highly exalted him and gave him a name above all names, right? So there was, his life was saved by what? By dying. This is the example he left for us to follow in his steps. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose it, you'll save it. Notice the reason. Whoever loses his life, why? He says, for my sake and the gospels. So this has to do with this has to do with Jesus. This has to do with loving him. Right? Not being hated by the world for any other reason than you love Jesus and his truth, his gospel. Reason number one. You need to, if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to stop wanting to save your life and be willing to lose it. Because only in doing that will you save it. Reason number two, verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So what is this talking about? What would it mean to gain the whole world? What is he talking about? Young, young adults, teenagers, high school, middle school. What does this mean to gain the whole world? What would that look like? What's he talking about? Oh, I knew, the, I knew this would be hard because kids actually talk and you young people don't. So embarrassing. Come on. What is he talking about? What? I can't hear you. Ruling? Okay, sure. So position, power. Yeah. So possessions. Right? Possessions. What does it profit a man, right? So, you do want to profit, right? Yes. But what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? This is what many of you are on the road to doing. This is all you think about. How can, I get, how can I get richer? 
How can I posture my life in such a way that I'm successful? I'm, you know, good pay, good job, good life, easier than my parents. I don't want to live like my parents. My parents did all kinds of stupid things and had too many kids. I'm not laughing because I know some of you actually think this. I'm not going to do it like that. I want a life of ease. And in wanting a life of ease, you are destroying your soul. And you're deciding, you know what? Actually, what I really mean is, I don't want to be a Christian. I'm done with that. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. You can't serve God in wealth. You have to choose. Jesus told a parable about the seeds sown on the ground, different kinds of soil. Remember that one? And one of them stands for this. The one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word. Like all of you are doing right now. He hears the word. But the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. It chokes it out. Because what you really want is to be successful with money. That's it. That, that is the thing that guides your life, that drives you. Then he says this. This is number, reason number three. Verse 37. For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What could you... So if you tried to gain the whole world, and then what? What? You're going to go up to God and say, Here, God, look. I'll give you this. I gained the whole world. Look at my, look at my wealth. Look at my riches. I... Look at my success. I'm going to give this to you. Will you save me now? No. No. Your soul is so much more valuable than that. You see how crazy this is? I'm willing to lose my eternal soul so that I can have what? A Maserati. Does 185. Nothing is worth having that will tear your soul away from, from Jesus. Nothing. Reason number four. This is really the ultimate reason 
to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus. He's driving to this. Verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. We live in an, in an adulterous and sinful generation. Just like they did. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words. So, what does it mean to be ashamed of someone? What does it mean to be ashamed of someone? What's another word for that? Come on. You young people are this <laughs> towards your parents all the time. So you know the word I'm looking for. What is it? Embarrassed. You're embarrassed. Now, sometimes your parents do embarrassing things. We're not, talking about, we're not talking about your parents. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus never does anything embarrassing. At least for those who are following him. To be embarrassed. To be ashamed. To want to distance yourself, right? That's what that means. To want to distance yourself from from who? From the Lord Christ and his words. Do you, we all feel the pressure of this constantly, don't we? Because we live in an, in an adulterous and sinful generation. Where nobody is saying, you know, in the world, we, we love what Jesus says. And so we're ashamed of him. So the earlier reason was about possessions. Um, what profit is there if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? What is this one about? This is about praise. Right? Reputation. So think about this. Young people, every one of you, think about this. Who do you have to please? Who do you have to please? Whose opinion of you matters the most? Who, who do you really care about impressing? From whom do you desire approval and fear rejection? Whose value system do you, do you measure yourself against? What's that guy's name? <laughs> That's a bad question. Was it Andrew Tate? Is that his name? 
Oh, 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 what a wonderful man to have as your role model, young man. Nothing but death. Nothing, nothing, nothing but death for you. Whose opinion of you matters the most? In whose eyes are you living? You see, that's what Jesus is saying, right? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, I don't want to be connected to that. That's embarrassing to me. Jesus says things that are embarrassing to me. Why are they embarrassing to you? Because my friends... Right? Think they're crazy. So therefore, I don't want to be associated with Jesus. So when I'm at school, I will go into stealth mode. And what does Jesus say about you? If that's you. What does he say? You're ashamed of me? I'll be ashamed of you. Now we heard uh, Christmas Eve, I think it was, what Jesus says, or what it says about Jesus in Hebrews 2, that Jesus is what? Not ashamed to be called your brother. In Hebrews 10, it says, God the Father is not ashamed to be called your God. (laughs) And here we are ashamed of him. Now, think about this. Is there any reason for, for Jesus to be ashamed of you? For God the Father to be ashamed of you? Yeah, of me? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's all, every reason in the world for him to be ashamed of us. Is there any reason for us to be ashamed of him? No. James says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's the equation right there. You want to be a friend of the world. You want the world to like you. You just made yourself an enemy of God. Jesus even says, you can't even believe in him if that's what motivates you. You can't even believe in him. If what motivates you is receiving praise and honor and glory from men. He says this in John 5. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that's from the one and only God? How can you even believe? You can't. Ashamed. Ashamed. 
Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Listen, you do not want the Son of Man to be ashamed of you when he comes in his glory. You don't. Who is the Son of Man anyway? Why does he say that? Well, he's talking about himself. But why that word? Why that name, Son of Man? So, he's referring back to Daniel 7. Listen to this. Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a Son of Man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. The Son of Man, in his glory, in his dominion, in his power. And you're worried about the opinion of, who was it again? Some kid that you won't even know his name in 10 years? There is a day coming of great judgment and great reward. They have great judgment and great reward. And you know what Jesus says? Many will say to me on that day, what? Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things in your name? And what does he say? Depart from me, I never knew you. Go away. I don't know who you are. That's what it means for him to be ashamed of you. Go away. Are you ashamed of Christ? Are you ashamed of our Lord Christ, of his words? Consider your ways. Now, how can you not be ashamed? How can you not be ashamed? How can you deny yourself so that you can take up your cross, so that you can follow Jesus? We're not talking about like super spiritual monk life thing here. We're talking about simply what it means to be a Christian. So how can you do that? Let me read to you one last passage and we're done. This is 2 Timothy 1. There it is. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, a young man, your age, right? For God has not given us a spirit of timidity. 
That's, the, that's what you feel every time you walk into your school or onto your job site. That's what you feel. You feel timidity. But God hasn't given you a spirit of timidity. But of what? Power and love and discipline. This is what he, you, he's given you. You don't have it in yourself, but he's given you the spirit of power and love and discipline. Therefore, what? Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of him and his words or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. I know you don't have the power. Jesus knows, God knows, but you have the power of God. Join with in suffering according to the power of God. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, thank God. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us freely as a gift in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who what? What did he do? He abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He abolished death. So what are you worried about? I mean, really, what are we worried about? Death is over for you if you follow him. What do you have to lose? By following him. Nothing. What do you have to lose by not following him? Everything. Remember what, what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3? We've been going through Philippians. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value. Remember that? Surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. More value than anything. To have him is to have everything. Knowing Jesus, having him own you, having him know you, is worth losing everything. So here we are, new year. Life is a vapor. not just old people who die. You're going to stand before God.
there was a missionary, I'm sure you've heard of his name, Jim Elliott. You guys heard of Jim Elliott? Missionary died in the jungle down in South, South America back in the 40s, or yeah, 50-something. And he has a famous line, and I'll end with this. The famous line is this passage. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. To gain what he cannot lose. Is that a foolish thing? No, it's the, it's the only non-foolish thing. To give what you cannot keep. To give up what you cannot keep. To gain what you could never lose. This is what life is about. This is where life is found. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. This is no joke. Great joy. Life. Purpose. Everything you want. Everything you want that's good, He has for you. pray. Father, would you please soften our hearts and open our eyes to our folly, our foolishness. We do confess to you, Lord, that we are ashamed of you and your words. Even in the midst of this adulterous and sinful generation that's turned away from you, especially there, we are ashamed of you and your words. Lord, we, we, we are timid. We need your power. Would you please give it to us? I pray especially for the young people here. Lord, let them see themselves. Let them see their ways. Let them live for what's real, lasting good. Let them want life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.